Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Welcome back to Bible time. We're in 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 2, and we are in verse 15. Yesterday we studied a, a heritage of suffering. A heritage of suffering. The marks of the true church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages. A heritage of suffering. By the way, that's why most people don't want anything to do with Christ's church. And they want instead some other kind of church is because Christ's church has always suffered and always will suffer till Jesus Christ comes back. You say, well, we don't suffer much in America. Who are you talking about? You suffer if you live godly with Christ Jesus. If you don't live godly um, with Christ Jesus, you don't suffer. But if you live um, all, yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's, that's not optional. It's not um, changed. I heard say of a, a man in a third in another country. I can't remember where it was. <clears throat> but he was their people were under deep persecution and he had heard about american christian christianity and he thought about it with scorn and he said um i pray he said that he's this man said that he prays that um american christians would get to go through persecution so they can be spiritual and i say wow that's not very spiritual that's pretty hypocritical and self-righteous and um, listen, if you are a true Christian, a true believer in Jesus Christ, you go through persecution no matter where you in, where you live. It's just different types of persecution. It just manifests itself differently. There's different trials, different places, different attacks. And um, here in America, we have persecution if you live godly in Christ Jesus, just like there is anywhere else. Um, as far as in principle, it just plays out a little bit differently. Most of Christianity in America is not true Christianity and has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They have their own Jesus, their own Christ, their own gospel. I actually listened to a message by an old preacher who was one of God's called preachers, um, part of the true church of Jesus Christ. And in the 1970s, in the southern states of America, he was preaching the gospel and being cast into jail and threatened with his life and threatened with beatings and attacked for his faith in the United States of America. You say, well, how come that's not the mainstream? Because the mainstream is not living godly in Christ Jesus. That's why. The mainstream is not truly Christ's. And that's why there's not persecution in the mainstream for Americans today. But those who do live godly in Christ Jesus suffer persecution on some level. Now, some people get it a lot worse in other countries. Um, it's, I haven't heard about anybody getting beheaded for Christ in America lately. But Jesus didn't um, classify it. And by the way, being beheaded doesn't make you any holier. You can be beheaded for a false religion as we talked about yesterday. So we were talking yesterday about this heritage of suffering, and that that we just talked about now is by way of a recap, kind of discussing some of that stuff here. <coughs> the marks of the true church of Jesus Christ are the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the filling up of the suffering of Jesus Christ that we're called to is for all Christians who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And the... Um, one other thing on the suffering, uh, I heard of a widow. This widow was an Otto Koning as a missionary. He has a bunch of teachings 
um, from the last few decades, and you can find him online. You can look up the pineapple story and find a lot of his teachings. He taught about a widow who gave um, everything that she could give to further God's work in other lands where Christ was not preached, and how she lived um, in a, a sac- in a sacrificial way, and she gave constantly everything above her base amount that she could gather to further the gospel. And in lands where Christ is preached and where people are following Jesus, true Christians will suffer the persecution of the persecuted church with the persecuted church. They will bear that cross and they will bear that suffering through giving, through prayer, through fasting, um, through denying their own self and following Christ, and then through missions, whether they go themselves or whether they send others to go in their place. The true church of Jesus Christ will always suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. And in some cities like Corinth, the church was not attacked directly. In churches like Thessalonica, it was, but the true church of Jesus Christ will always suffer persecution if they live godly in Christ Jesus. It's also worth noting that the Corinthian church struggled with a lot of license and a lot of sin in their place, and they didn't have a whole lot of persecution. And the two go together. They weren't a very holy church as far as that's concerned. They had a lot of sin in the church, and and they had less persecution. The two go hand in hand. Um, Now, you could go off the deep end here again and get into asceticism and masochism. We talked about all that last time. We're not talking about self-inflicted persecution when we talk about, um, yea, and all who will of godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said um, that you'll be hated of your own family. He says that... um, a man's foes will be they of his own household. If you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. Um, now, he turns here in verse 15 from the pers- the heritage of suffering that he's commending the Thessalonic- Thessalonican church for attaining for their holiness and their following of Christ had brought them into persecution. And then he says there, ye, have, ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. And then he goes into two verses here where he deals with... With the Jews, and he levels here in verse 15 five accusations against his own countrymen. Now, <clears throat> these accusations come from the Holy Ghost. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for exhortation in righteousness. And the, all scripture, as given by inspiration of God, is therefore God's own breathed words. His, his own word, his own words, the very actual words of God. And Paul here and his evangelistic band here were speaking as not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. So here they level five accusations against the Jews, the unbelieving Jews. Look at verse 15. Um, number one, who both killed the Lord Jesus, number two, and their own prophets, number three, and have persecuted us, number four, and they please not God, number five, and are contrary to all men. Now, two lessons are insufficient to cover the subject of the Jews and the Jews and the Bible, the Jews in the New Testament, 
We're not trying to cover all of that today, but we are going to look at the sins of the Jews today in this context that it's given in. Our our purpose here in this lesson is to stick as close to the Bible as possible. So since God gave us two scriptures here dealing with the sins of the chosen people of God, the Jewish nation, we're going to take the time to look at that and look closely at it um, as closely as we can in the time that God has given us, and then we'll move on. And we're going to let God limit our stuff and that, that's our purpose. That's why we call this Bible time. We try to keep to the best that we can. We're trying to study what the Bible says. And we're trying to keep the scope of our study within the passage and the context that's given in each text and look at each text in its context and in the light of the whole counsel of God in that context and try and set forth the scriptures in as clear as possible light by comparing scripture with scripture. So these accusations given here by the Apostle Paul are actually accusations given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God by God the Father and God the Son, God the Word, Jesus Christ, the Word that was made flesh, and by the Holy Spirit of God. The triune Godhead here lays at the feet of the Jewish nation this charge of their sin that they have committed. Five sins of the Jews here in verse 15 And then the final sins of the Jews, the final sin of the Jews that fills up the sins or the fullness of the sin of the Jews, which Lord willing will look at tomorrow, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be might be saved to fill up their sins always for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. (coughs) Excuse me. So let's go to Acts chapter 7 here, uh, and this is where we can, we'll start. This will give us a very good um, brief survey of the history of the Jew as God's chosen people, as well as introducing this subject of having killed the Lord Jesus. So in verse 52 of Acts 7, and then we'll go back to the start of the chapter. In verse 52, um, the, here Stephen speaking to his own people, Stephen a Jew, says, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, with a capital J and O, a name applied to Jesus Christ, the just one, speaking of the Messiah, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and the murderers. So here in Acts chapter 7, they had grabbed Stephen and drug him before the high priest. In verse 1, then said the high priest, are these things so? Speaking of the accusations that they had brought against him in chapter 6 and verse 13, they set up false witnesses which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And then down here, Um, the high priest said, are these things so? Verse 2, and he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charan and said unto him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I will show thee. So here Stephen begins all the way back in the early chapters of Genesis with the story of Abraham. There in chapter 9, God had instituted human government with Noah and then Noah's sons were scattered 
scattered around the earth, and they um, you have the Tower of Babel in, in chapter 11, and chapter 12 begins the story of Abraham. It says there, Now the Lord hath said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So here Stephen brings up this early history of the Jewish race, and God made Abram, made Abram before he was Abraham, he made him the father of many nations, but specifically there in Genesis 12, 2, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. God gave a national promise to Abraham, and then he promised Abraham. Abraham that not only would he make a great nation out of Abraham who was then called Abram but that he would also um, in Abram bless all the nations of the earth and here you find that there is a physical promise to Abram of a physical nation that God in his word intends to keep and claims that he will keep he said if if my covenant with the son can go away where the sun will no longer rise or set basically he says then will my covenant with abraham be abolished god intends to keep his word with abraham god never changes god keeps his word <clears throat> excuse me and god gave called abraham by the at the time by the name of Abram out of the land of the Chaldeans and he went and dwelt in Charan and from thence when his father was dead says Stephen in Acts 7 4 he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell and he gave him none inheritance in it no not so much as to set his foot on yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when as yet he had no child and here's the establishment and through Genesis the establishment of the land of Canaan as the literal land given by God to the physical seed of Abraham that would be um, Eretz, uh, Eretz Israel or Yisrael or however they would say that with the whole Zionist movement of the 50s trying to go back and possess the land. Uh, many people today will say that the Jews that are in Israel are not the true Jews and God says to them, you don't know what you're talking about. And he says it all over his Bible. The real Jews are in Israel. There's some others mixed in with them, but there's a large portion of them in Israel today. The physical seed of Abraham. We know that they are not all Israel who are Israel, there's an Israel of God, those the believing Jews, and there's the unbelieving Jews, as the Bible will call them. We'll see that as we continue our study. Um, but the Jews altogether, whether believing or unbelieving, have a ownership of the physical land of Canaan, some people call Palestine today, that is Israel. It belongs to the Jews. And he promised it to them, it says, for a possession in verse 5. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And that ends the whole discussion for all the talking heads up there that want to go sit in their little chairs and their little desks on TV and argue about who gets what land in Israel. Isn't it amazing that so that it can be year after year after year after year, all the talking heads have to get up and talk about the boundary lines in Israel. They don't talk about the boundary lines between Maine and the neighboring um, state next to it, or between Pennsylvania and New York. They talk about the boundary lines between tiny little Israel and these other nations. Why do people involve themselves in that discussion? There's only one reason. 
because God set the boundaries. And when God gave the land to Israel, the whole world got annoyed with it, and everybody wants to talk about it and argue about it because of the rebellion against God, and that's the only answer to that. There's no other reason for so much attention being given to a little tiny chunk of land in the middle of Nowhereville, out in the middle of the desert, that now these few hundred thousand Jews, and now upwards in the mil- over a million and growing, have gone and inhabited. The only reason it's even a talking point in this world is because God said he would give it to Israel, and he did, and everybody's mad about it, and Satan's mad about it, and trying to make God out to be a liar, and God will never be a liar, and they will never get that land away from Israel. Do you hear me? No matter how hard they try, the UN, all of the Arab nations who I love and I want to come to Christ, all of the nations of the world, Russia, China, all of them combined will try to take that land from Israel. And when they try, listen to me, Jesus is going to come out of heaven and wipe them out for trying. It's It's not a small issue. It's really not a small issue. The whole world hates God and lieth in darkness and is trying to stop God from keeping his word in cahoots with Satan, and God's going to wipe them out with the word that proceeds from his mouth. So it says here in verse 6, And God spake on this wise, that his his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years and the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge said God after and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place which is Egypt the prophecy that they would go down into Egypt and be there evil and treated 400 years they were there 430 years but 400 years they were evil and treated just like God said and the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge said God and there you have the 10 plagues and the exodus which is celebrated in so much secular uh, movie making and artwork and it's always an abomination whenever they come out with that stuff they always fail to preserve the biblical truth they always add to and take away from the word of God every time. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge. Verse 8, and he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. And moving really quickly through all the chapters um, there in Genesis, he's all the way down to Isaac and now Jacob and then the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Verse 11. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, which would be Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. You say, well, he said it wrong. It's called Canaan in the Old Testament. No, here he's speaking most likely in Greek. Or he's speaking in, well, this is translated into the Greek, so the one writing it in the Greek would have said it at something to the effect of Canaan, and then it got translated into English, and the word became transliterated again. So it is accurate, though it sounds different. <coughs> It says here, in great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. Did you guys follow that at all? It was, I wasn't planning on getting into that, so I um, did a poor job explaining that. Why are some words in the Old Testament said different than words in the New Testament? Why is it Haran in the Old Testament and Charan in the New Testament in Acts 7-4? Does anybody know?
in the Old Testament it was Hebrew, in the New Testament it was Greek, but you've got the right idea, and I'm glad you were paying attention just a second ago. So this is given in a different language, just like um, the word one, J-U-A-N, one is John in Spanish, but John is J-O-H-N with a hard J sound in English, but they're the same name. Different languages, same name. And when you translate from different languages, you end up with different words still yet. And that happens all the time in the Bible, and God expects you to deal with it and not to throw a hissy fit. So, uh, moving on here, it says that um, the dearth came over Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent our fathers first, and at the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren. And we're at, ex- we're at Exodus, um, or Genesis, about 40 by now in 13 verses. And Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh, then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, three score and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died he and our fathers, and were carried over into Sichem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Immer, the father of Sichem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. And here in verse 17, Stephen has crossed 50 chapters of Genesis and he's ready to get into Exodus. That's some fast preaching. He just covered Genesis in 17 verses. So that's why we're using it. It kind of gives us just the summary of the history of the Jew. It says here um, in verse 18, Till another king arose which knew not Joseph. And here we get into Exodus, the start of Exodus. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil and treated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And Stephen's going to introduce a theme throughout the history of Israel that you need to get right here because it applies directly to our study the sins of the Jews. And it says here, verse 23, and when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Excuse me. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren. Why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Now Moses is the greatest prophet of Israel until Christ. And Moses came as the first great prophet of Israel, though Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all had prophetic utterances and prophetic power with God, yet Moses, and Joseph did as well, yet Moses here stands out as the first one to stand up as a prophet amongst his brethren, as not the patriarch, no longer a patriarch, but one of the sons of the patriarchs, one of the children of Israel, and a great 
great prophet, the greatest prophet that Israel ever had, that Israel ever received, was Moses. And when he showed himself to his brethren, they rejected him and they tattled on him to Egypt. They told, listen, they told the world on him. They told the world, Egypt, that Moses had killed one of their own and was trying to deliver them. And they chose the world over God and God's deliverer. And this is the theme that Stephen is setting forth for us here. And it says in verse 29, Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Madian, where he begat two sons. If you read the account in Exodus, Pharaoh would have killed Moses. Verse 30, And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen the affliction, I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. And listen to Stephen here in verse 35. This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? By what authority doest thou these things? Who made thee a ruler and a judge? Saying, it says here, the same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. And there he just crossed over the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy. He just encompassed them in this statement here. All of that bears study. Anybody that claims the Old Testament doesn't apply today is taking away from God's word and is going to suffer a curse. It says, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, and this is taken from Deuteronomy 18.15, this quote, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear. Stephen points the Jews to the fact that Moses prophesied that God would raise up another prophet from among their brethren like unto Moses, and said, him shall ye hear. Verse 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake him in in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. That's the word of God. Verse 39, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, Have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon." 
the children of Israel throughout the ages have always had believing Jews and unbelieving Jews, but God has nevertheless dealt with them as a nation as the chosen people of Israel. The believing Jews were accepted of God and found faith and salvation by looking forward to Christ the Messiah. The unbelieving Jews tried to go about to establish their own righteousness through their own attempts to keep the law and please God, and they fell in the wilderness, and they fell in Canaan, and they fell in the diaspora, and they fell in the return, and they fell, and they fell, and they fell, and they fell, and they're still falling today, being ignorant of God's own righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. He says in verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, Jesus being the Greek transliteration into English of the word that would be translated Joshua into English from the Hebrew word Yeshua. So Jesus then, he's speaking here of Joshua, the conqueror, of whom there's a whole book in the Bible, the book of Joshua. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And this is that Jesus that he's speaking of here. So they brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. And that's why all these, listen, we got we to gotta stop here and just give this one a shout out real quick. All these guys saying you're supposed to worship Yeshua don't know what they're talking about. Jesus is Yeshua in English. When you say Jesus in English, you are saying Yeshua. And God takes it that way. Just like if if you say Juan to a Spaniard, then they hear John. It means John to them, and God takes it on that level. So Jesus is the name the English-speaking people should worship, not Yeshua, because Jesus is Yeshua in English, and Yeshua is not Yeshua in English. Jesus is. So anyway, we'll throw that out there and let you deal with it however you might. And you go, oh no, we should worship him in his original language. You stinking hypocrites. God have mercy on us, and God have mercy on me, help me not get in the flesh. You bunch of whited walls. I'll say what Paul said. You bunch of whited walls. You don't know enough Hebrew to say two sentences in Hebrew unless you memorized it. You can't use Hebrew functionally, and you go around trying to make everybody say a few Hebrew words so that you can act all spiritual and walk around in your long scholastic robes and stick your your nose up in the air and act holier than everybody else because you know a couple Hebrew words. Your hypocrisy is a stench in the nostrils of God, and he would rather you just call Jesus Jesus and loved him and worshipped him than go on with your stinking hypocrisy now moving on from there it says here um, who found favor before God it says says that God drave out the Gentiles before the face of our fathers unto the days of David so now he's gone all the way up to first Samuel who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob but Solomon built him in house now we're into Kings and Chronicles Howbeit the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands as saith the prophet heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool what house will ye build me saith the Lord or what is the place of my rest hath not my 
I handmade all these things. So he brings them right up through all of the historical books and all the way into the prophets and into the Psalms through David as well. And he encompasses basically the whole of the Old Testament. And then he lays this, uh, he'll lay a charge at their feet here, which brings us into this first accusation and then also bridges into the second accusation that God gave to the Jews, the sins of the Jews by accusation of the Almighty, Jehovah God, the great I am, the everlasting Father has laid accusations at the foot of the Jews. He's laid accusations that they must deal with, and here they are, verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And that's the second accusation, that they killed their own prophets. But then he goes here, and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. And this accusation by God is leveled against the Jew on the basis of a long history of usurpations and offenses against the Most High. Over the thousands of years since, as he says here in verse 33, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. He said, yes, you have the law, but you have not kept the law. Instead, you have killed the prophets and you have killed those that showed before of the coming of the just one. And now you have killed the just one. You have put Jesus Christ himself to death upon the cross. And this lines up with what the apostles said to the Sanhedrin in Acts 4 and verse 10, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, in any other. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is the name Jesus to the English, and it's the same exact name as the name Yeshua to the Hebrews, which, by the way, we don't even know exactly how the Hebrews would have pronounced it because the Hebrew language died and went into decay and had to be resurrected. And the current Hebrew language is the best guess of scholars and is not accurate exactly as it was spoken in the old days. The written is preserved, but the oral pronunciation was not. And as they do not even have any vowels in their written language, it's purely a scholarly guess as to how to pronounce each of the words. And if you don't believe that, I'm sorry, you're so ignorant. But in any case, you walk around blabbering all your Hebrew words all you want, and you'd sound like an idiot to the Hebrews of old. Listen to me. If you went back 400 years and spoke English, they'd think you had a bad accent and sounded like a dork. And we're talking about a language that was dead and resurrected by scholars, and you think you're so smart, and you're going to say it just right, and please God, because you know the old language, and you don't know nothing. 
There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name Jesus Christ, which in the Spanish is Jesus Christos. And they are saved by the name Jesus Christos, which is the same name as Jesus Christ in the English. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because God said, in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And Jesus Christ's name is not confined to one language. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Oh, Proverbs there says, what is his name and what is his son's name? If thou canst tell in Proverbs 30, a challenge to the Jews to figure out the son of Jesus, the name of the son of God, Jesus Christ. Amazing how so many still still struggle with it today. So here, these accusations are leveled. Let's go to Luke 22, and let's look at the actual crucifixion of Christ real quickly. Luke 22 and verse 48, um, But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And in Acts 7, Stephen said, You have now been the betrayers and the murderers of the just one. And here is the betrayal of Jesus Christ by a Jew, Judas, to the Jews who paid to have him betrayed. Luke 23 and verse 21. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said, that's Pilate speaking to the Jews, he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. Pilate, let's go to Matthew 27. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. That's Matthew 27, 22. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Verse 25, then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Go back to Luke um, 23, 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Here Jesus Christ is hung up on the cross, nailed to the cross by his hands and by his feet. The Bible's very clear that it is a cross and not anything else. A cross and that it was that he was nailed to that cross, to that crucifixion, is absolutely indisputable except by higher criticism, which is nothing but demonic criticism, devilish criticism from the bowels of hell. It says that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the mouth factors which were hanged railed on him saying if thou be Christ save thyself but the other answering rebuked him saying dost not thou fear God seeing thou art in the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man hath done nothing amiss and he said unto Jesus Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom and Jesus said unto him verily I say unto thee today shalt thou be with me in paradise 
And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. If you go back to Matthew twenty. Which one was that? 28. They set up over his head the accusation written in verse 37 of 27. This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. There's that cross. Don't let anybody ever tell you it wasn't a cross. They, d- they display their infinite ignorance whenever they say it was not a cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself. He cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Verse 50, And when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Go back to Luke 23 and verse, um, we looked at verse 43 and 46. Um, go on to 24. Well, we're, going, we're just going to summarize this. Luke 24 tells us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did arise. But the, the sin laid at the feet of the Jews here is that they killed the Lord Jesus. Now we know that Jesus allowed himself to be killed. He said that he give, no man taketh my life from me, I give it freely. But nevertheless, they killed the Lord Jesus. And this sin is laid at the feet of the Jews. This charge is laid at the feet of the Jews. Go to Matthew 23. That's why I mentioned it earlier, because we're going there now. Matthew 23, the second charge, the first charge that God, by the in, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, put in the mouth of Paul to say, and guided the hand of the penman that wrote the epistle of Thessal- to the Thessalonians, the first epistle, chapter 2, and here in our text, which is verse 15, the second charge that God Almighty had scribed down by men from his own commandment in heaven was that they killed their own prophets he said who both killed the lord jesus and their own prophets go to matthew 23 and we're going to examine this charge that god laid at the foot of the jews matthew 23 and go to verse 32 Jesus here is speaking to the scribes and to the Pharisees, to the rulers of the Jews. In chapter 23, verse verse 2, Jesus said, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. 
For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And he goes on here and begins to describe these woes to the Pharisees. Eight woes that he gives them. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you, you, ye blind guides. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, verse 23. Verse 25, woe unto you, scribes scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 27, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And then verse 29, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, which is going to tie in um, there to this second as well. So we'll start there. Because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witness unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? <coughs> This is the accusation by Jesus Christ of his own people that lines up perfectly as another witness, as a, as a great, as the grand witness against the Jews. He says and in their persecution of the prophets, and he says here in verse 34, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We could spend a lot of time right there. We, we may have to come back to that in just a little bit. Let's go to Zechariah real quick. This is the prophet that Jesus mentioned. Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 1. In the eighth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah the son of Berechiah the son of Iddo the prophet saying. Now we know from the book of Ezra and from the book of Nehemiah that, and then also from Haggai and, and Zechariah. We know from the other scriptures that Zechariah was instrumental in the rebuilding of the temple that had been destroyed of Solomon's destroyed temple that was rebuilt in the days of um, Zerubbabel and um, Ezra and Nehemiah. So he was an instrumental prophet, and by his prophecies, the people pro prospered, the Bible says, and carried on the work of the Lord. But Jesus Christ gives us an insight into the end of the life of Zechariah that he died in between the temple and the altar put to death by his own people. He died in the, in the temple that would eventually be called Herod's Temple, named after an Edomite. What on earth? Zechariah chapter 3, here of uh, Zechariah and Zechariah 2, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line, line, and he gives these promises to the Jews. Zechariah 3, he showed, and he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? And here's some of the greatest prophecies um, in the history of Israel, um, chapter 4, verse 
verse 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And here these prophecies of Zechariah were instrumental in bringing about the rebuilding of the temple and establishing of the remnant in Israel. And yet the very Jews that prospered under the preaching of Zechariah put him to death between the temple and the altar. The last one Jesus Christ mentions is a prophet to be put to death by the Jews, telling them that they would bear the blood from Abel to Zechariah. The blood from Abel to Zechariah. And what was it that caused this anger? Well, if you go through the, um, the prophecy of Zechariah, he brings up the branch in chapter 6, and he talks about him building the temple of the Lord and bearing the glory and sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both, speaking of the Messiah. And he began to preach and to, and to speak to them of the Messiah, and it didn't line up with their ideas of how God was going to establish the kingdom and they hated Zechariah for his preaching and for his preaching of the blood of the covenant ask ye of the Lord and the blood of the covenants mentioned in 9 11 and verse chapter 10 verse 1 ask ye the Lord reign in the time of the latter reign um, some of the most beautiful prophecies in the history of the nation of Israel look at chapter 11 here he takes his staff, verse 10, even beauty, and cut it off, cut it asunder that I might break my covenant which I made with all the people. And it sounds like Zechariah is losing his marbles. Here in chapter 11, if you don't know that God is in him, you might think this guy is losing his marbles. He's cutting off the flock. He's cutting off the shepherds in verse 8. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month. And I have to wonder if that wouldn't be the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees that are being prophesied about right there. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. And here he prophesies of the cutting off of the very institution that was brought into being while he was alive. The Sanhedrin was formed while, Zach while Zachariah was there. As far as, as I'm able to discern, the Sanhedrin had its roots and its birth in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is Zechariah's day. And there you have the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees going into a position of a trusteeship, a trustee type of position for the throne of David where there's no king to sit on the throne. And you have the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees sitting on Moses' seat. And God prophesies here through Zechariah that these shepherds will be cut off and that his soul will utterly abhor them. And he says, I will not feed you. That that dieth, let it die. And that that is cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat every one the flesh of another, which took place in 70 AD when God cut off the shepherds and he cut off the people and he let them starve to death and he let Titus take them and crucify them by the thousands all over Israel. It says, and I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder that I might break my covenant, which I had made with all the people. And it was broken in that day. And so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Listen to me here, Zechariah in, um, Zechariah in chapter 11, verse 12. And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price. What price? Sounds like he's gone crazy. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for me my price, 30 pieces of silver. 
And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter. Now this is a direct parallel with the betrayal of Jesus Christ, who was sold for 30 pieces of silver by Judas, a Jew. He was sold to, sold to the Sanhedrin who weighed to, the, to Judas the price of Christ in 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it under the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at them, which is the price of a sickly slave. If you go back to the Old Testament, an old slave might bring 30 pieces of silver and they gave Judas the price of an old slave, 30 pieces of silver for Christ. Judas later came back and said, I have betrayed the innocent blood and the Sanhedrin the representatives of the Sanhedrin said to Judas he says what is that to us see thou to it these shepherds that Christ abhorred and cut off in one month and they what did they do Judas cast the money cast it unto the potter Judas cast the money there at the at the temple and cast it upon the ground and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees gathered up the silver and they bought the potter's field look at it in verse 13 this is being prophesied hundreds of years before Christ was even born it says and I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord and here the Sanhedrin took the money that was cast in the house of the Lord and gave it to the potter to purchase a field that would be called Akeldama, the field of blood unto this day. Do you see this? And Zechariah the prophet was prophesying of Christ and they could not hack it. He says, Then I cut asunder mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet, yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. And on he goes preaching and his preaching only got harder and harder and harder. Look at chapter 13 here. In that day shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Jesus claimed to be the fountain of living waters. He said, believe on me and you will never perish. He claimed that he had power to forgive sins. And it says here in verse 6, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part shall be left therein and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it as my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. Hallelujah. And then he comes to the second coming of Christ, which we could, oh my word, we could preach on that, but we can't right now. 
Zechariah preaches of Jesus coming to the Mount of Olives and it being split in half when his feet touch it in Zechariah 14.4. And he talks about the day that shall not be clear nor dark. He talks about that unending day that will come and the reign of the King, of the King, the Lord of hosts. The King, the Lord of hosts. The King Jehovah physically and sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. And the people of Israel thought this guy's lost his ever living mind. This guy's off his rocker. Here we are pleasing God. Here we are keeping the commandments. Here we are rebuilding the temple. Zechariah, you were preaching that we should rebuild the temple. You said that Joshua, the son of Jozadak, was as a brand plucked out of the fire. You said that the plummet was in the midst and that Zerubbabel's hands had laid the foundation and Zerubbabel's hands would finish it. And now you're preaching against the very things that you preached for and you've turned on us, Zechariah, and you're not preaching the Bible anymore. You're a false prophet. And they killed him between the altar and the temple. This is the sin of the Jews. Believe one thing, God says, they won't believe the next because of their own limited understanding. They refuse to submit themselves to the righteousness of God and allow God to define his own word. Instead, they define it their own way. The third accusation brought against them and they have persecuted us could take the rest of the day. We could spend the rest of the day um, studying this out in the Bible. We're just going to hit a few verses as best we can and keep going. Go to Matthew 24, first of all. Here, immediately after Jesus cries out to Jerusalem that they kill us the prophets and stone us them which are sent unto them. And there the accusation is given by Christ um, or given by Hopefully we'll find that verse. I lost it. But he says, Which of the prophets have not your children slain? Which of your prophets have not your children slain? And throws the burden of proof on them, showing them you, are, you have sinned. Again, he's speaking to the national Israel, which is comprised nationally of good and bad Jews, believing and unbelieving. But then he's always made a special promise to the believing Jews to keep them and watch over them and to always take care of them. Just as we read in Zechariah, a third part of them will be brought through the fire and refined as silver is refined, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Matthew 24, verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake now this applies to the jew primarily in matthew 24 that's who jesus is preaching to of the end times but it also that per, that applied to the 12 apostles and to those that would follow them in the doctrines of christ go to john 16 we'll show you how that ties in with the gentiles Lord, help us today. John 16, verse 1, These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. Verse 2, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. So here Jesus Christ tells the 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 apostles that the Jews would put them out of the synagogues and think that they were doing service by killing them. This is the sin of the Jews. And I to throw in a little caveat here, a little side story, every group in the history of the world that has ever claimed to be Jews has at some point persecuted Christians and the true church of Jesus Christ. Every group at some point. 
every group. The Catholics think that they have replaced Israel, they're the Jews, and therefore they have persecuted the true church and burnt them at the stake, killed them, put them out of the church, slaughtered them, chased them under strange cities. The Get this, the Protestants coming out of the Reformation, the Calvinists put to death many people who they disagreed with, including many of the Arminians who believed in Jesus Christ. And they persecuted other believers. Every group has congregationalists, Anglicans, etc. have imprisoned. John Bunyan spent the greater part of his life in prison because he wouldn't go and get a license to preach from the state church that had the power, that was not the true church, which, by the way, taught the false doctrine that they had replaced Israel. Almost every group that pops up thinks that they've replaced Israel. Coptics, I'm not so sure about. I don't know their stuff, but I'll bet it's in there somewhere. And then you go to the Orthodox and what they consider themselves to be. And each one of these groups, every group that comes out here and starts to establish their own righteousness thinks that they're Israel. The cults, All the cults do it, like the Catholic Church. The Mormons do it. The Mormons think that they're the... T- Um, the lost tribes and on and on and on it goes you have hebrew roots and hebrew israelites all these cults out here who think that they're israelites and they to the to as much as the power lieth within them persecute the true church it's not a coincidence you don't listen to me you don't want to be nationally israel we're gonna this these are the sins that God has laid at the feet of Israel. You say, Oh, we're Israel, then these are your sins. Deal with them. These are your sins. This is your accusation. That's just a side note that we wanted to jump off on in a second. You start to think that you're Israel and you're gonna twist the whole Bible into knots. And next thing you know, you are going to be fulfilling the very sins of Israel that you are condemning. Well, you garnish the tombs and the sepulchers of the prophets yourself. And you would say, if we lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers of them in the blood of the prophets. And Jesus says, fill ye up then the measure of the blood of the prophets. It's all going to be required of you. So that's just a little side note we'll throw in there. You don't want to be the nation of Israel and you're not unless I'm talking to a Jew that's actually them. And then you better believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and get right with God. And by the way, you've got a great tribulation to go through. It's coming your way. And this is why. This is why Israel will go through the tribulation. And by the way, all these other churches that think that they're Israel also all teach a that the church will go through the tribulation, and they probably will because they are not the true church of Jesus Christ. He's coming back for his bride, not for the phonies. And a lot of these are just phonies. I'm not saying that if you don't that if you don't have your eschatology right, you're not part of the bride. Don't take that out of context. But as far as these church organizations that preach the post post tribulation rapture or post tribulation catching away, or they say there's no rapture at all, or something like that, all of them maintain that they are Israel. They all think that they are Israel. And what I'm telling you is their doctrine is so screwy. You can find you'll follow them through history always. Per- persecuting the true church of Jesus Christ, and they will most likely go through the tribulation as an organization at least three and a half years in, at which point the God will allow the beast to burn the great whore and her daughters will burn with her. And all of these other groups, including most Protestant denominations, will be burnt up with the great whore. And they'll still be having church. 
He'll just be licensed through the Antichrist to preach. He doesn't have a problem with their doctrine anyway. Now, moving on from there. John 16, um, here he says, They will think whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. Go to Acts chapter 4. We're going to run fast through these verses as fast as we can here. If I can speak clearly and swallow and not cough and hack. Pray. I'm, I'm so grateful to God. I've asked for prayer for my voice. God has helped me so much and healed me so much. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Acts 4 and verse 5. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? And what was the evil deed that they had done? They had healed a man who couldn't walk and then preached salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And the Jews here at Jerusalem and the leadership were so angry that they called them into their midst and demanded of them by what name they did it. Go to verse 18. We're just going to skip through fast. And they commanded them and and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now this this one here I'm going to have to make some notes as we go. Okay, <clears throat> but Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. So here's the beginning of hostilities. Here the accusation laid by God in the book of First Thessalonians is that they have persecuted us. Speaking of the Jews, the countrymen of the believers in Jerusalem. Acts 5 and verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison they returned and told saying the prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keepers standing without before the doors but when we had opened we found no man within now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things they doubted of them whereunto this would grow then came one and told them saying behold the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned so you'll see that even when they brought them without violence it was only because they feared the people and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Didn't they cry out and say, This man's blood be upon us? And now they're accusing the disciples, the apostles, and the disciples of bringing the blood of Christ upon them. Didn't they bring the blood of Christ upon themselves? Then Peter and the other apostles, verse 29, answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. 
The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. And that goes back to the first accusation of killing Christ. Whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. And that ties, by the way, Ezekiel 44, the prince. There he is. And a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they They were cut to the heart and listened to these sweet, lovable Jews here and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council of Pharisee (coughs) named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation. He basically tells them, have care, leave, he says in verse 38, refrain from these men and let them alone. If this is of men, it will come to naught. If it's of God, you cannot fight, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. Um, So it says, verse 40, to him they agreed. To what? To let these guys alone. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, that sounds like leaving them alone, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. It says that the disciples departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus. Acts 6, verse 9, here's Stephen um, in verse 8, full of faith and power, doing great wonders and miracles among the people. What a horrible offense to do great wonders and miracles among the people, full of faith, healing the sick, and all the good wonders that he did there. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Caesar. Stephen, these were Jews, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit which he spake. Then they suborned men, they hired men to lie against him. Your verse says, they suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Did you know that basically all persecution of Christians began with the Jews and was stirred up by the Jews? And so this accusation that they killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us is biblically true. The persecution of Christianity at its inception was through the Jews. Now, there were others that also persecuted them. In some cases, the Gentiles would call the Christians Jews and persecute them for being Jews. But in general, the persecution of the Christians has at its roots around the world the, the anger and malice of the Jews. It says here, um, Acts 6, they set up um, 13, and they set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. And that brings us to Acts 7, which we just read. Um, At the start of this thing, at the close of Acts 7, they kill Stephen. They stone him. And kill him. Acts chapter 8, Saul, consenting unto his death, he came, it says in verse 3, made havoc of the church, entering into every house and healing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, 
preaching the word. So the persecution was used by God to further the gospel, but the Jews nevertheless have at their, at their feet this charge, this accusation from Jehovah God, from the Most High, that they have persecuted his church. Go to Acts 9, and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And then he journeys to Damascus, so he's chasing them, persecuting them, even unto strange cities, which he says by his own admission later when telling his testimony, and he meets the Lord in the way, Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, um, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why persecutest thou me? Jesus says that his church is his body, and the Jews are persecuting Christ to this day. Persecuting Christ, despising Christ, hating Christ to this day. <clears throat> Go to Acts 15. We're going to skip some of the texts that could display this and just touch a couple more and move on. Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. So here they begin to trouble the church. Verse 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? It wasn't good enough to put them in prison and kill them. Now they sneak into the church and try and steal the liberty that these people have in Christ and bring them under a yoke of bondage and they tempt God in the meanwhile. He says to why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither you our fathers nor we were able to bear. Um, and then they'd conclude, look at verse 24 here, the answer of the church at Jerusalem, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. All you Hebrew roots and all that out there, you're subverting the souls of the church disobeying the commands of Christ by telling people to keep the law. You are troubling the church, and it makes sense because you think you're Jews. You think that you are the replacement of Israel, and so you're taking up where they left off, picking up with their sin, persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. It, this liketh you. Acts 20 and verse 22 Hebrew Roots guys are going to go in with the Antichrist big time. Do you hear me? The Hebrew Roots guys, they're going to be the ones, they're going to be the ones like Saul, persecuting Christians during the tribulation. Those that get saved and trust in Jesus Christ, you can expect Hebrew Israelites, Hebrew Roots, all these groups that are going back. You're going to find Calvinists there who think that they've replaced Israel and that they're the church and they're all going to go in with the Antichrist and they're going to persecute the church of Jesus Christ the saved Jews, the believing Jews, and all any Gentiles who trust in Jesus Christ during that day, if any do. It's unclear from the Bible um, what the result will be of that for the Gentiles. Acts 17, at least it's unclear to me. Maybe you've got that all figured out, but I don't. Um, Acts 20, verse 22. <coughs> 
And now, now here he says, Paul's speaking of going to Jerusalem, and he says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. So he's expecting rough treatment from the Jews. Acts 21 and verse 10, As we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus, and when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Paul said, I'm going down anyway. They said, all right. And he got there and they said, listen, we need you to go um, shave your head, go to the temple, do the things for purification. There's a bunch of Jews that believe, but they're going to hear that you've come and they've heard that you teach Jews not, they teach that you teach people everywhere not to keep the law. It says, look at verse 21. They are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore, the multitude must needs come together. They're expecting a riot from the Jews because Paul's in town. For they will hear that thou art come. Do, therefore, this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. And there's a whole discussion we can get into in that. Paul did not keep the law amongst the Gentiles, but he did amongst the Jews. He said, I'll be all things to all men, that by all means I may win some. And there's reasons for it that are biblical there in the Bible. Um, anyway, he says in verse 25, As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. So Paul went to do as he had been instructed there. And let's see here. I'm trying to find my place. Um, verse 27. When the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people, laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel. They lied on him. They said that he brought um, Asians. They brought. They said that he brought Greeks into the temple, which was a lie. All the city was moved and the people ran together, took Paul, drew him out of the temple and forthwith the doors were shut and as they went about to kill him, tidings came into the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Paul makes a defense. The people throw dust in the air, say, away with this man. They make false accusations. They try and get him beaten, and then all the way up until um, the end, go to Acts 28.19. Acts 28.19, and we skip some of the um, verses we'll look at tomorrow about how zealous these Jews were about stopping the gospel. Um, Paul says to the Jews in Rome that the Jews in Jerusalem, when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. He said the Jews have forced me into this position that I was in. Now in these verses we've seen, and I've, I failed to bring it out as we went, and I meant to um, do a better job of it, but the next accusation is that they please not God. And you'll find all through this whole situation, all through all of these persecutions, that during this, God constantly affirms the church. God constantly shows his great um, his great joy that he has in the church. He gives them power. He does wonders. He does miracles by their hands. He raised Paul from the dead after the Jews stoned him. And then Paul went back into the city that had stoned him. 
all throughout this, there's proof throughout that they please not God. The Bible says that they that the Jews being ignorant of God's righteousness and um, going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Now, Paul here was called before the Sanhedrin in Acts 23, and the there was a whole uproar. The Jews were angry with him, and it says here in chapter 23, verse 11, after Paul says to the high priest, get this, I want you to get this. You say, what are we doing? Why are we talking about all this bad stuff about the Jews? Because God did. Because God did, and we're trying to stick with the Bible. And here, our entire verse here in Second Thessalonians, First uh, Thessalonians two fifteen, is these five accusations that God levels against the Jews, and the fourth one being that they please not God. They please not God. We're just going to take one example here of this, and one example of the next, to move on to Romans and close out with just a couple verses there. So we're nearly done. Here, Paul says to the, um, look at 23.1, Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth, which was illegal. And Ananias, the high priest, breaking God's law in the name of God. And then look at verse 3. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? contrary to the law and they that stood by said revilest thou god's high priest then said paul i wist not brethren that he was the high priest for it is written thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people and god never rebukes paul for this saying because paul was right and paul backed down once he knew it was the ruler of his people but paul's words were right And God allowed Paul to not know it was the high priest so that Paul would tell him the truth. And God did exactly what Paul said. And God smote the man. And he's in hell today, though he was God's high priest. Acts 23.11 And the night following, the Lord stood by him. By who? Annas, Caiaphas, or Paul? Paul. Caiaphas by this time may have been dead. And here the high priest is Ananias here. I don't know if that's the same as Annas or not. I couldn't tell you. Um, But it says here in verse 11, And the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Who was God pleased with? The Jews? No. They please not God. He was pleased with the church that was following God. It says also here that they are contrary to all men. God accuses them here of being contrary to all men. Now, where was that text at? I meant to have that written down. Um, let's go to Acts. I think it's 18. Let's go there real quick. We'll find it. It won't take us long. Yeah, Acts 18. So here, um, in Acts 18, here's an example of them being contrary to all men and pleasing, not God. It says, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, found a certain Jew named Aquila. Now, this guy was a believer. Paul um, dwelt with them because he was of the same craft. And verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. 
Um, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Who is God pleased with here? Paul, not the Jews. They please not God. And look down here, he continued there, verse 11, a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Here's where the Jews are contrary to all men, another example of it. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of those things. We'll also find whenever we look at how the Jews hindered the gospel, which is the fullness of the sin of the Jews that we'll look at tomorrow, that as they um, that they were also contrary to all men in that. And in addition, in at least one place, Paul and his men were accused by idolaters of being Jews, um, and the reputation of the Jews preceded them, and they managed to get Paul beaten for being a Jew. And he was, but he was a saved Jew, and very different from the behavior of the wicked Jews who are contrary to all men. Go to Romans 9. We're just going to touch this a little bit here. We're not going to preach through Romans 9. We just want to touch a couple things um, here in Romans 9 and be done. Go to Romans 9.30. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and a rock of a f- and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Go to 10 and verse 3. It says here, well, verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again? Again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is written to the Jew. A lot of people use this passage as part of the Romans' road and they will preach this to Gentiles and it does have application and we can learn much from it. But its primary context is that it is written to the unbelieving Jews to convince 
convince them to turn from their obstinance and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 11. Romans 11, and we'll touch this more tomorrow, but we're going to wrap up with this. We've just looked at the gospel somewhat, that the gospel is by faith in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And what, what, has, made, what has made the Jews so offended that they would sin so against God? He's just told us here. They've tried to establish their own righteousness through the righteousness of the law. And being ignorant of God's righteousness, they've set up their own righteousness. Um, Romans 11, and we'll finish here. Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, speaking of the nation of Israel. And this comes after the fullness of the Gentiles. We're not even going to get into all this right now. Just give it a mention and move on. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Look at verse 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. So the Jews, though they have sinned grievously against God, are yet beloved for the Father's sakes and therefore should be blessed. Because God said, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. I think it's interesting, all these that curse Israel and say, and they'll quote these same sins that we've looked at, and then they say, see, that proves that Israel's no good and God's forsaken them, and they curse Israel, and they look on the inheritance. God have mercy. You know what God said to the children of Ammon and Moab that looked on the land of Israel when they were carried away into Babylon? He said, I'm going to destroy you. There will not be one of your heirs left alive to some of them. He said, I will kill every one of your people because you looked on my people's inheritance whenever I took them into captivity. And today the Jews are our enemies for the gospel's sake, but they're beloved for the Father's sake. And we've got all these people running around looking on the inheritance of the Jews, claiming the privilege of the covenant of the nation of Israel. And God is a jealous God and he loves Israel. And I would warn you very severely and very specifically that if you touch the Jews' inheritance, spiritually or physically, you are in for the wrath of Almighty God, and your children will suffer greatly. You are setting yourself up to go through the tribulation and be destroyed as an enemy of God. So don't touch the Jews. Do you hear me? The Jews are beloved for the Father's sake. Concerning the gospel, they're enemies. And these are the sins of the Jews that we've looked at today. Lord willing, tomorrow we'll look at the, the fullness of the sins of the Jews. Father, in Jesus' name, use this for Christ's sake. Amen.